we as people, we all share some things in common with all of humanity. One of those things is that we all crave and want unconditional love. All of us need forgiveness of sin. And all of us need the Lord. We need Him. And not just for Him to forgive us, but for Him to love us, make us aware of His love. We need to feel the love of God. And God manifests His love towards us by the Holy Spirit. But He also manifests His love towards us through the lives of other people who love us. God loves us through other people. My mother, when she got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, was still married to a very abusive, adulterer husband. And she told me, she says, I love your dad. I said, how can you still love him? She says, I can't. But God showed me that he can love him through me. And she prayed for his salvation. And she did things to try to please him. Now, because of some bad events, there was a divorce. Many years later, fast forward, on his deathbed, she's in his hospital room, and she said, I'm sorry for the things I've done to hurt you. But he had gotten saved. Say, I led him to Christ a few days before. And he says, no, no, you don't understand all the terrible things I did to you. And he took responsibility for that. But she had already forgiven him. He didn't have to ask. She already did. And I can tell you, he didn't deserve forgiveness. And you think, well, the terrible things he did, he didn't deserve. But I didn't do as many terrible things as he did. But I needed forgiveness just as much as what he needed forgiveness. See, our sin is an offense to God. And we need the Lord. The only way that we can love some people is when the Holy Spirit loves them through us. Are you listening to what I'm saying? He helps us to do the impossible. Some people are enamored with signs and wonders and miracles. Well, you know what the greatest miracle is? Is that a, that a holy God could look at sinful humanity and say that I want to redeem them and I want to love them. And the greatest miracle in my life wasn't when God touched me and healed me of cancer. And he did that for me. The greatest miracle in my life came on October the, November the 1st, 1969, when he forgave me of my sins. And that miracle is ongoing because every single morning since that time, his mercies are new and he forgives me every single day. I need forgiveness. 
uh, many, many, many years ago when I came here, 21 years ago, last July the 15th, I said, when I come here, I will disappoint some of you. You will become offended. And the congregation said, oh, no, no, no. And I said, no, at some point, I promise you, I will offend you. And you need to choose today that not if that happens, but when it happens, that you're going to forgive me. And then the knife that cuts both ways is there's going to come a day, not if, but when you offend me. And I'm making a decision today that I will forgive you when that happens. I have forgiven people who didn't ask me to forgive them because God forgave me. And in my righteous, self-righteous mind, I can say they don't deserve forgiveness because they didn't ask me to forgive them. That's not up to me. What God speaks to me is you forgive. The example on the cross, Jesus said, when one of the things he said before he died was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, the first martyr in the church in the book of Acts, stoned to death, falsely accused by the religious leaders, and then stoned to death. And as he looked up into the heavens, and the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Son of God standing at the right hand of, of the Father. Some say that Jesus stood up to give him a standing ovation. And Stephen said, lay not this charge to them, O God. Forgive them. Saying the same thing, Jesus, they don't understand what they're doing. And sometimes we don't understand what we do, how we offend people. But we need to have the grace to forgive just as God forgave us. I'm just going to say people have been offended at a number of things that I have done. It was never intentional to offend anyone. Some have said, Pastor never asked for forgiveness. He never said he was sorry. And for that, if you took that, I apologize for that. But when I have offended, I'm always sorry. You've offended me and haven't said, you're sorry, but I forgave you anyway. We can make judgments about other people. And sometimes when churches struggle with disunity and inner fighting, it's people lose their sense of sanity. They want to be so right that they'll rip apart the entire fabric of unity in a church just to prove that they're right. And that is a very sad thing. But today, we need to make a resolve that we choose to forgive. Someone told me recently that in this sermon, recent sermon you had, you said you only gave Nick Jackson the permission to speak into your life and assumed that that was it. No, I gave Nick permission to speak into my life because I knew that he loved me and that he would tell me the truth in love. But many, many other people speak into my life. 
my wife being the chief one. Now, I don't remember ever giving her permission, but she just does it. Uh, my former youth pastor, Roger Whittem, very close friend of mine, there were times things got tense in the office. There was friction between us. But we always forgave each other. And he spoke into my life. Still does. I never gave permission, but Roger's the type that'll just do it. And so if you were offended by that, I apologize to you. I could say, you know, some old timers somewhere in heaven today, they say, boy, some people got offended at a former pastor here because he spent too much time at the coffee shop. But I happen to know that many solid families were won to Christ because he met them at the coffee shop and brought them into the church. There's some people today that the, that the coin has flipped. It's like, I'm offended because pastor doesn't spend enough time in the office. It just goes to show that everybody has an opinion. Right? Everybody has an opinion. And so in ministry, the only way that I survive is to realize that I'm never going to please everybody but my heart is to please God. You know, one of the things that makes a church healthy is that it's a church with grace and mercy. A church that loves people despite their faults and gives grace. You know what grace is? Grace is the power to do as you ought to do. And the only way that my mother could forgive my dad is the grace of God was applied to her life and dispensed to her. And then driving down the road one day in my 74 Mustang, my new car, I remembered all the things my dad had done and I was so full of hate and rage. And I was a Christian filled with the Holy Ghost, spoken tongues. And I remember feeling the hurt and the hate and the the cause of Satan gripped my heart and my mind. And I remember thinking, I know it was the Holy Spirit in hindsight, you can't live this way. And I remember pulling the car off to the side of the road on West Kansas Street on the way up to the square in Liberty, Missouri, and I put my head down and I said, God, forgive me. I've got murder in my heart and hate hate. I used to think about how I could murder my dad and not get caught. Murder. And the sad thing is some people, even some Christians say, well, you had a right to feel that way for what he had. No, nobody has the right to hate. Nobody has the right to murder. Jesus said, if you hate in your heart, it's the same as if you've done it. And I repented for hate. I repented for murder, for vindictiveness. And my dad had never asked me to forgive him for how the things he had done. But I made a decision that day. Would you say decision? Decision. decision. I made a choice. 
God, I choose to forgive my dad. I choose to forgive him. And I prayed. Holy Ghost was there, filled, filled that car. And the load lifted off of me and my heart was clean. I felt clean. And I was just saying, drove away from there. All oh, three or four weeks later, guess what? My sister called, did you hear what dad did? And you know what happened? My heart filled with hate again. And I couldn't understand it. I thought to myself, why? God, I've chosen, why do I feel that? And the Holy Spirit just said, you need to forgive him again. <sighs> that didn't make sense to me. But I bowed my head. And I said, God, I choose to forgive my dad again. And the Holy Spirit filled that place and burden was lifted. And I thought, okay, now it's done. Guess what? I changed, but my dad didn't. A few weeks later, I don't know, two, three weeks, wasn't too long, my sister called again. You know what dad did. And I went through it again. And after a while, I saw a pattern. Okay. You know what the pattern was? You will always have, John Bevere calls it the bait of Satan, you will always have a baited hook of offense dangling before your mouth. There's always going to be an offense. Always. But guess what you get to choose to do? I don't think I'm going to bite that hook. Because you know what? My mouth is still sore from the last time. Still hurts. Holding on to forgiveness does not make you right. It just makes you in bondage. That's what I found out is that I was the one suffering. My dad was oblivious. He didn't care what I thought about him. I was only hurting myself. And, and the devil sits back and laughs because he hooked another one. And so I saw this pattern. And you know, it, I didn't, wasn't real adept to hearing the Spirit's voice, but, then I, but he spoke, but I would, when I listened... It was like, oh, God, forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a series of events where you choose to do the right thing. And I found out something else, that when I choose to do the right thing, I'm the one who gets set free, that I'm no longer in bondage. And somebody says, well, what about those people that hurt you? What about your dad? Well, you know, my, my dad's fifth wife. Now, between my mother, the first one, married 30-some years, and then divorced. And then uh, between living girlfriends, I can't count the amount. They didn't stay long. One wife he was married to three months, and she packed up and left and cleaned them out. Came home from a trip, and everything in the house was gone. Fifth wife was my ninth grade science teacher. And she was mentally ill. 
And when he was dying, she told my sisters and brothers, they said, I hope he dies and burns in hell. Full of hate. You know what? She was one of those that was so angry when God forgave somebody who didn't deserve it. Didn't deserve it. In fact, God was so loving and so kind to hear the prayers of his people, to hear of his family, is that he had almost died multiple times before, and this time in the hospital he coded and they resuscitated him. God allowed that to happen. And he gave him a picture of what was to follow. You close your eyes in death. And he said, woke up screaming, those ghoulish creatures were coming to take me away. You know what that created? It created another opportunity for him to hear the gospel. And people say, that's not fair. He doesn't deserve that. It's the same way in the parable. I'm uh, hopefully dealing with some parables uh, in the next several preaching times. One of them was the owner of a vineyard who called people into work for him, went to the place, you know, hired people to work all day long. And you get down to an hour later, he calls people in an hour later. And the ones who were hired first at the end of a long day thought, well, we're going to get paid way more than the ones who he hired an hour ago because he paid him a full day's wage and they got to him and he said, you get one day's wage too. And they were offended. Say offended. That's not fair. He says, you agreed to work for this when I hired you, right? Yeah. Well, why do you expect more? And you know, it's like that. My dad came at the last hour to be forgiven and God paid him a full day's wage. He's got a mansion in heaven. Grace and mercy. The marks of a healthy church, grace and mercy. We don't gossip, we don't backbite. We don't take up offenses for someone else who's offended, take up their offense. Steve Nichols coming in a few weeks, he's going to do a seminar. I expect all of you to be there. He's going to be dealing with a lot of things. But the Holy Ghost is here today, and he's got some expectations. He's got some expectations. And you say, what are they? And I say to you, do you read your Bible? Peter came to him. You, you worship him to stay up here. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven? Now, Peter was a real sharp theologian. He'd figured out that seven is God's perfect number. And he says, how many times? And he thought that was a good answer. That's really giving people grace seven times. And then he got knocked off his feet because Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. And Peter, maybe as a mathematician, said, okay, 490 times? I don't think that's what Jesus meant to you. I don't think so. I don't think that's what he meant.
The story of the parable of the unmerciful servant is the one who was forgiven a huge amount of debt. In fact, in modern math, it was millions of dollars. And the king came to do an accounting. In other words, he was doing an audit. And he called those people who owed him money and gave an account for it. And this man couldn't pay. And the king said, then I'm going to sell everything that you have, taking compensation. I'm going to sell you and your wife and your children and everything that you own to pay the debt. You're going into, into prison to pay the debt, into servanthood, an indentured servant. Now that man, his wife, his children could work the rest of their lives, never pay back millions of dollars. But the man fell down before his feet and begged him, please be patient with me and I'll pay it all. In his desperation, he lied. There is no way. And, and the, the comparison here is that we owe a great deal of debt to God because of our sin. And we're, apart from forgiveness from Christ, we're going to go to hell. And at the gates of hell, like my dad, I'll pay it all. You don't have anything that God wants or counts as valuable except your soul. You cannot pay that debt. You can't. And my dad found out the grace and the mercy of God that I'm forgiven. The, the king, it's a type of Christ, forgave him. He said, I forgive you everything. I forgive you everything. He had pity on him, compassion. And he released him. The scripture says he released him and forgave his debt. That's what God did for us. This guy must have had an attitude because he walked out and he was very upset, it says in the scriptures. Matthew 18. And, and then he called in looking for somebody who owed him a few hundred bucks, a couple thousand at most, and demanded payment. And the same thing happened that this fell down before his feet and said, please, I'll pay it all, please. And he said, no. And he sold him and his family into slavery. Story is, that other people were watching and they went to the king and they said that one you forgave that great debt wouldn't forgive and so what did the king do he called him in and said I forgave you of millions of dollars and he owed you a few thousand at most and you wouldn't forgive now you're going to pay up he rescinded his gracious offer And sent the man to prison to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt, which would never happen. And Jesus, in verse 35 of 18, says this, That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if 
you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters in your heart. Not just forgive, but from your heart. Your heart means that your emotions are involved in forgiving. Now, when I forgave my dad, my emotions weren't there. But guess what? My emotions caught up with my decision. And then I could forgive him from my heart. And you know what happens? Then I could love him from my heart. I could see his need and see how desperately he needs. Because you know what I found out about my dad? I found out that, that he was born out of wedlock in a small Nebraska town in the days when that was a terrible shame. My dad was born in with a spirit of rejection and a spirit of guilt and shame for something that he didn't do. And he carried that guilt and that shame and that rejection with him throughout his life. And so even the people who loved him, he rejected, he pushed away. Until the day came in his desperate need when God one more time reached his hands to touch him. And my dad finally Yes, spirit of rejection gone, and then he's born again. A few days after I came home, I got a call that dad passed away today. And a few of my siblings were there. Some were afraid to be there when he died. They'd never seen death, but a couple of my sisters were there. And they said, you know what dad said? They had on life support, you know, helping him breathe. He told the technician, you can turn it off now. And all the noise, that loud noise stopped. And he looked at his family and he said, I'll see you in heaven. How could that be? It's the miracle of forgiveness the grace of God, the unmerited favor, the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God that you don't deserve it, but I'm going to do it anyway. In fact, this is what you do deserve, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Forgiveness. I'm just telling you how I am. I have to forgive because I hate myself when I'm full of anger. I can't live with myself. I can't sleep. And I feel dirty and unclean. And I'm unhappy. And I'm angry. And the moment I forgive, I'm clean. I'm clean. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and will each receive whatever we deserve for good or evil we have done in this earthly body. I'm not going to do this whole teaching. I'm going to wrap it up in just a few moments and open the altar, but I'm here to tell you there's not one of us sitting here today who knows Christ as Savior that isn't going to stand before this judgment. It's referred to as the Bema judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. 
When we stand before that judgment, it's not going to determine whether or not you're going to heaven or not. You, if you believe in Christ, you're going to heaven, but it's when all things are going to be revealed. We receive reward or loss of reward for the things we've done. Judgment always scares me. When, when I'm driving down the road and I see a police car, I immediately put my foot on the brake. I was like, I'm not even speeding. Pastors and leaders will stand at a higher level of accountability, and I'm cognizant of that. Whether some of you think I am or not, I know that I will stand before God and give an account. Judgment is a certainty, and it's a reality. Rick, War- Rick Renner says this, that our attitude changes dramatically when we live in the awareness that one day we will stand before the Lord eyeball to eyeball and answer for how responsibly or irresponsibly we lived our lives. There will be no fast talking on that day because every lie and every excuse will evaporate in his glorious light. Think about that. The king showed mercy to the servant who didn't deserve it. He was compassionate and merciful, just like he was to me and to you if you've received Christ as Savior. Are we showing it to others? Have we chosen to forgive from our heart? Or do we say we forgive but hold on to the feelings and the emotions of anger and resentment and rejection? Matthew 7, 2, that's on one of the slides. Matthew 7, 2 from the NIV says, in this same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. New Living Translation puts it this way, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as. Just as God through Christ, has forgiven you. That wicked servant had a very short memory. He forgot so quickly what God had done for him. Matthew 10, 8, Jesus said, Freely you've received, freely give. And the same measure of mercy that you'll mete out to others is the same you're going to get back. like to close in prayer. Open up the altars. I'm going to have some anointers come, but 
You don't have to go to someone to pray with you if you just go and kneel at the altar and pray. You know what the altar is? It's a place that we do business. It's the place we do business with God. Do you have any business you want to do with God today? Now is the time.